but he created light. Day number two, day number two, he created what I call the expanse because he's going to fill that expanse up on day four, okay? But on day two, he creates space. He creates space by dividing the waters. That water is a basic building block that God is using to create our world. Day number three, he creates dry land by grouping all the water here on earth and then the dry land appears. We have vegetation on day three because God is getting ready for what? For what he's going to do later on here. He's going to create animals. He's going to create mankind. Day number four is where we're up to right now and that is the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let's continue on. The sun, moon, and stars. This is study number 10, day number four. Now, I want to go back and read the passage because I want you to notice something. Okay, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and there be for signs, for signs. We've already talked about that one. God has given us a way to navigate. Signs in the expanse that we can navigate, that we can get from point A to point B because we look up there and we can calculate where we are here on earth by looking up there. Signs. Signs. Seasons. Our different seasons started with creation week. I want to go to Psalm chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104, if you actually look at it, it's a, it's a poetic rendering of Genesis 1. The writer here is taking Genesis 1 and he is conveying a lot of the ideas in Genesis 1 in a poetic form. Because keep in mind, the book of Psalms is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't have to rhyme. What's Hebrew poetry? Hebrew poetry is a beat, a cadence, cadence. It helps them to remember. The book of Psalms is Hebrew poetry. It is a songbook. Look now at verse number 19. He, God, appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to share with you science objection to the Bible about that verse and some other verses. But we'll wait on that for just a moment, okay? We have seasons. We have seasons because of the earth's tilt. The earth's tilt is 23.5 degrees. By the way, that is perfect. Are you surprised? I'm not. It's perfect for the seasons that we have. If the earth was tilted a little different this way or a little different that way, we would not have the seasons as we have. 
Go back to Genesis 1. He made signs. He made seasons. And for days and years. Once again, we have this word day. This is what we would call a 24-hour day. Go back to our previous study as we talked about that. It's a 24-hour day. Years. There were days before the creation of the sun because the earth was already rotating on its axis. But the creation of the sun, it enables that concept of years. Because what's a year? It's the time of one revolution around the sun. Oh, by the way, it's a perfect revolution. A little bit off either way, closer to the sun, further away from the sun, a little bit different in a path, and we don't have life as we have today. What's God doing? He's creating a perfect world. Haven't you enjoyed all the fall leaves? You know, perfect world. We've got a perfect world here, courtesy of God. Now, why is the universe so big? Modern atheists love to complain. They complain a lot that the universe is too big for God to be interested in the earth. They would say, well, <laughs> the universe is so huge, and it is. It is. We're talking about stars we can't even count. We don't even know how many stars. Stephen Hawking, he's the guy in the wheelchair, okay? He's passed on, but he's the guy in the wheelchair. Um, regarded as one of our most brilliant minds in the last, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. He said this about the universe being so big. I'm going to quote him. We, speaking of mankind, are such insignificant creatures on a minor planet. He calls the earth a minor planet of a very average star. You know, our sun is a star, and it's an average star. It's not, you know, it's not huge, it's not small, it's just average. In the outer suburb of one of a hundred billions galaxies. So it's difficult, according to Hawking, it's difficult to believe in a God that would care about us or even notice our existence. I'm going to have a comment back to his comment, but first, let's notice what David said. I, I love what David said. Go with me to Psalm chapter 8. David really nailed it. He hit a grand slam here. Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3. When I, this is David here, we think speaking, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, why is man that you are mindful? Or what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. 
and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Out of everything that God created, Drew, out of everything that God created, he made us in his image. Think about that. He made us in his image. Did he make stronger beasts, stronger animals, bigger animals? Yes, yes, and yes. But he gave to us that blessing of making us in his image. By the way, I'm going to talk about that in, in a few moments here. I also love, I, I love David's comment, but I love C.S. Lewis's comment. Now, I'm a C.S. Lewis fan, okay? Um, uh, Mere Christianity, the book Mere Christianity, is one of my favorites. Uh, his fiction, I also love his fiction, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I love his fiction for children. Here is C.S. Lewis's comment. There is no question here of knowledge having grown. You know, we know a whole lot more today than we did 100 years ago, 500 years ago. The real question is why. Why the spatial insignificance of the earth, after being known for centuries, should suddenly in the last century have become an argument against Christianity. I do not know why this has happened, but I'm sure it does not. <laughs> I'm sure it does not mark an increased clarity of thought. It's not because we're getting smarter. We're actually getting dumber. Or at least science is. Because, because science before Darwin essentially agreed with the Bible. It's after Darwin that we have ventured off from the Bible's standards. My reply to Hawking, if he was still alive, my God is so great that He would create a vast universe and place mankind in the center of His love. That's our God. That's the power of our God. Now, He creates the greater light. Go back to verse 16. He creates the greater light. Let's back up to verse 15. And let there be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth. And so it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. Notice, Moses, by inspiration, didn't call it the sun. Because it seems like there's been every generation, every civilization of mankind has in some way deified the sun. The sun is not to be deified. While the sun is vitally important to life on earth, we've already talked about the plants and, and how they work, and they are amazing. Worship of the sun and the stars is strictly condemned. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. Good wisdom right here. 
and take heed. You lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the, and the stars, uh, all the hosts of heaven, you feel. Notice it's a feeling. What's at the heart of most idolatry? Well, in fact, I'm going to say probably 99% of all idolatry. Feelings. It just feels good. It feels right. I, I want to do it. You feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. My son-in-law bought for his family a real fancy telescope. I love looking at that telescope. They live out in the, in the, in the country, in, in, away from the city. And on a clear, clear night, you can take that telescope and you can see so much. You know, you can look up at that moon and boy, it feels like that moon is right on top of you. You know, like pow, you know, well, here it is, you know. Then you see all the little craters and, and such like on the moon. And you can look and, and you can spot, you know, some of the closer planets like Venus and Mars. And, and you can spot those, those planets. It's fantastic. One time I, I challenged my uh, two older grandsons to count the stars. <laughs> you know. And of course, being boys, they're going to do it. You know, they started counting, you know, you know, and they got up to, you know, I forgot, a big number. And they said, Papa Bear, we can't do it. There's too many. Bingo. Bingo. Besides giving us light, the sun is the ultimate source of most of the earth's energy. We get energy from the sun, that sun that God gave to us. The sun rules the day. How? Because it is the dominating source of daylight, while the moon rules the night because it is the dominating source of light during the night. Now, actually, the moon doesn't produce light. It's a reflector, okay? The moon does not produce light. It's a reflector. In a few moments, we'll talk about how God made that. It's a reflector of the sun. Okay, it's reflecting the sun back to us. Evolutionists, they, they have a a hypothesis about how all these planets and all came into being. And one of the basic arms of that hypothesis is a, another hypothesis called the nebular hypothesis. Have you ever seen figure skaters doing that circle, you know, they're just, you know, doing that thing, you know, on the ice? How do they increase the speed? Do you know how they increase the speed to go faster? All they got to do is do this. Bring their arms close to their body because when you bring your arms close to the body, the spinning is going to get faster and faster and faster and faster. Well, that's a problem for evolutionists because this nebular hypothesis 
says that all this matter, by the way, they don't ever come out and say how the matter came about. But this, all this scattered matter came together and everything's circling and it's coming together and coming together and coming together. If that is true, we're in for a big problem. Because if they were true, everything would be packing up, packing up, packing up. And guess what happens when you pack up too close? You've got problems. You see the evolutionists Every time they come up with an idea or theory or a, a, a suggestion, it opens up a new can of worms. Now, skeptics, I told you it would get back to that passage in Psalm. Skeptics claim that the Bible teaches that the sun revolves around the earth. Let's look at some of the passages, and we're going to have a clear and easy answer to this question, this allegation. Let's first look at the passages they like to use. Joshua chapter 10. Back it up to verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. Now, this is where what we've got Israel protecting the Gibeonites. Joshua said in the sight of Israel, Son, I can almost... Picture, guess what? You know, Rusty, I can picture Joshua pointing to it. Now, maybe he did and maybe he didn't. But in my mind, I got Joshua pointing to the sun. Sun, stand still over Gibeon. Why? We need extra time to mop up this military action. We need a 30-hour day, okay? Have you ever wanted a 30-hour day? Hey, I, I want it all the time, okay? I run out of time. Joshua is saying to God, God, I need an extra time. And guess what? God does it. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Scientists say, uh-uh. That, that implies that the earth is stationary and the sun and moon are revolving around us. That's what they say. Country term for that is hogwash, but hey. I'll get to that. Job, Job, Job. Let's look at Job here. Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Verse 7. He commands the sun and it does not rise. That implies that the sun rises, our sun is revolving around us, according to the evolutionists. Let's look at 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 30. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Once again, science says, well, the Bible's wrong because you're, the Bible says that the earth is stationary and the sun and moon revolves around us. Easy explanation. On your nightly newscast, do you ever hear the weatherman talk about sunrise and sunset? Yeah. You know, he'll say, sunrise tomorrow will be at 529 uh, a.m. Uh, sunset will be at 702 p.m. Well, doesn't he know that the sun 
doesn't rise and the sun doesn't set, you know, doesn't he realize that the earth? Well, yeah. So why does he use that term sunrise and sunset? It's because from our perspective on earth, it rises and sets. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, be involved in a seminar in San Diego, California. And uh, the seminar, <laughs> the seminar actually was over. And I asked Lisa what she wanted to do. We had another day to spend. She said, I'd like to see a sunset on the ocean. I said, okay, that's, that's a very affordable. All I got to do is just go down there and sit and wait for it. So we went and sat on the beach. We found a kind of isolated area, didn't see anybody around us. It was kind of private. We asked around where we could do that, and we found a little private area for us. And we're kind of sitting, we had a, 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 a towel to sit on. We're sitting on the sand, and that sun just kept on coming down and down. And then it looked like it just dissolved in the water. It's from our perspective. From our perspective, and God in His holy word, He has given inspiration to these men to write, and it's from our perspective that the sun rises and the sun sets. The Bible doesn't say that the earth is here and, and the sun is revolving around us, but from our perspective, we have sunrise and sunset. Pretty easy to explain there. What I find fascinating is there in Joshua chapter 10, at the, at the request of Joshua, God suspended His laws of nature for a period of time. He said, okay, stop. Now, how did God do that? I, I, I don't know. But he's God. He can do it. But he stopped the revolution, he stopped the turning, he stopped whatever so that Joshua could have more daylight. How did he do it? I don't know. Did he create some more lie? I, I, mean, I don't know. But he did it because he is our God. He is such a fascinating, wonderful, majestic God. The lesser light. Go back to Genesis 1, the lesser light. Verse 16, And the lesser light to rule the night, he made the stars also. The moon is actually uh, composed largely of a material. You know, the moon looks white, okay? But in actuality, it's not white. It's a great reflector, this material that the moon is made out of, or made from, covered with, it's a perfect reflector. You know, some things reflect well, some things don't reflect well. God made it so that the moon is a perfect reflector. Why? Because that way it would be a light at night. 
it looks white. The moon looks white because it shines by reflected sunlight. The moon is critical because the moon is the main cause of tides. You know, the ocean water coming in, the ocean water going out. What does that do? Have you ever had a pond? We, uh, we had two ponds on the uh, farm. And occasionally we would have to go in and we would take a tractor and we would actually uh, had an extension on the back and it would go into the water and it would stir up the water. Why were we doing that? Because that water was becoming stagnated. Tides prevent the ocean from stagnating. And also, in so doing, it helps to self-clean the oceans. The moon, <laughs> the moon is a major headache for evolutionists. Because the moon doesn't fit their theory. Here's why. Recession. The moon is slowly moving away. Now, don't worry. Don't worry. It's moving away about that much every 100 years, okay? <laughs> it's not moving very fast, okay? But it's moving away from the earth. It's called recession. If the earth was billions of years old, you would have to then have the moon so much closer what happens? That creates major problems on the earth because then the gravitational pull of the moon on the waters, you're going to have, well, it's just going to create so many problems that scientists can't solve all the problems. But if God made the moon and put it where he put it, and he did, and yeah, after a hundred years, every hundred years, it's moving just a, a hair. It's no problem. No problem. Life here on earth is not going to cease because of the moon recession going away from us. When God gets ready for his son to come back, that's when life here on earth is going to stop. God creates the stars. Go back to Genesis 1. He made the stars also. The number of stars is staggering to think of. And God just speaks the word and pow, they're there. Genesis 15. Go with me to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. God plays a trick. God plays a trick on Abraham. Here, verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, Look, now toward heaven, count the stars. <laughs> Abraham, count, you know, it reminds me of what I did to my grandchildren, my grandsons. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. 
Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22. As a host of heaven cannot be numbered. Even scientists cannot give you an accurate number. Science, give us a number for all the stars. Uh, <laughs> they'll give you an approximation. Approximation don't cut it, science. Give me a number. Well, we can't. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sands of the sea. Can you imagine trying to count all the sand? You know, one grain, two grain, you know. As the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my son. Remember, there's two great covenant promises. Covenant promise to Abraham and his descendants, Isaac, Jacob, so on and so on. Promise to David and his descendants. God creates the stars just like that. That's my God. That's your God. Because He is great. Study number 11. Study number 11. Day number 5. The sea and air creatures. The sea and air creatures. Now, I've already had a person ask me, well, how about insects? How about bacteria? I'm going to come to it. Give me time, okay? It's here. God creates everything in creation week. Day number five, sea and air creatures. Look, look at verse number 20. Oh, by the way, verse 19, standard end of each day. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. We've already talked about that standard ending and how it influenced how the Jewish people kept track of their days. Verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance. I don't want just a little bit. I want an abundance. I want a lot. Abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures. Circle that word great. We'll come to it. And every living thing that moves, God created it all, which, with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Oh, that's that big word here. How could, how could Noah take every animal on the ark? Secret, the word kind. Okay, we're coming to it in this study According to its kind, not species, but kind. And every winged bird, according to its kind, K-I-N-D. We're going to talk about the Hebrew word. Give me time. And God saw that it was good. God says, yeah, that looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know. He ever made something, he looked back at it and said, that's good. Nathan, when you are, you know, landscaping of uh, some property, you look back and say, boy, that looks good. I'm kind of proud of myself. God looks at it and says, it's good. It's good. 
And God blessed them. Whoa here. This is the first time this has happened. You know, we've had all this creation and it's good, good, good. But now we've got this creation part being blessed. Why? We're going to come to it. Saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening, the morning, hey, got our standard in. Evening, the morning were the fifth day. On day five, God creates creatures that live in the water and in the air. You name your favorite creature in the water. Maybe it's catfish. I kind of like catfish. Maybe, you know, you got a favorite kind of bird. I like eagles. God made everything. He made everything. Even those creatures that we have ended up calling dinosaurs. By the way, that word dinosaur is a 19th century word. And that's the reason why that word doesn't appear in the Bible. Because that word wasn't created until the 19th century. Their order of appearance, these creatures... That contradicts evolution's theory because why? According to evolution, you've got simple developing into more complex. You start with one cell, then two cells, and you got ten cells, and you know, pretty soon you got an ape, and then you got man. That contradicts their wrong theory. Filling the sea and the air, the sea creatures. God's command was given, and it happens. Water, once again, the main building block does not have the power for spontaneous generation. Only God could create life. Because, see, this is the first life. Plants, well, plants are alive. Nathan, I don't want to throw water on you. Plants are alive, but they don't have life as we know it for man. You know, an animal. You know, they don't have blood. They don't have a pumping heart. A, a plant is not that. This is God's first creation of life. And it's not spontaneous generation. The, um, for example, let's look at some of the complexities here. Uh, whales, uh, dolphins, they're not fish. They're mammals. Being a mammal, what? They got to breathe. Okay, a whale has to breathe. You know, you know, they have to come to the top and breathe. But God gave them amazing capability and abilities. Certain, certain types of whales can go down deep and stay down for two hours. Two hours. Before they have to come back up to get another <sighs> breath of life, oxygen. Humpback whales. You ever notice those fun looking bumps on their flippers? You know, they look kind of weird. They're there for a reason. 
It gives them 32% less water drag. Humpback whales are some of the best swimmers in the ocean because of that. God gave certain varieties of marine life eyes that can effectively see down deep. You know in diving, you can't see very well down deep. It gets dark, doesn't it? But God has given certain marine animals that ability to take what little bit of light there is, that just tiny fraction, and it, they can multiply it and they can see. Dolphins have radar-like hearing. I could go on and on and on. What is God doing? God has given to His creation ability so they can survive. The air, creature, air creatures. <laughs> they often defy aerodynamics. How does a bumblebee fly? Ever notice how fat a bumblebee is? Okay, I'm saying that because I can say it, okay? Fat. A bumblebee is fat. And it's got little tiny wings. How does it do that? It should never get off the ground. A bat, look at the body of a bat and how it flies. It should not ever get in the air. And still it does. Okay? In just a moment, I'm going to take your questions off the text. To me, that just builds my faith even more. That God can do things like that. Isn't our God amazing? Our God is amazing. And what we need to do as adults, we need to be like little children. Because little children, your boys don't doubt God. They just, hey, God did it, and that's how, you know, that's, that's how you did it. It's unfortunate that we as adults, as we grow up, we kind of lose that childlike faith. We need to be more like little kids. Now, let's check to see what we got here. I don't have anything. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to be doing come Wednesday. Now, by the way, this is lesson uh, 11. You've got 12 up here if you want to get it, because we'll be in 12 also on Wednesday. Coming up, coming up, we're going to look at DNA and how God, it's amazing what God can do through His plan. We'll talk, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, our body's amazing ability to process DNA and how that really messes up the evolutionists. We'll talk about Darwin's big problem, and he even admitted to it. The fossil record does not agree with my theory. He himself in his book, Origin, talks about that. And I'll even quote his quote from the book, okay? Talk about that. Uh, we will talk about the close of the fifth day. We'll talk about that word great. We'll talk about why God blesses this part of creation. And then we'll look at uh, study 12, and that will be day six, land, animals, and man. We'll be in that for a while, because that's a big one. That's his... That's his crowning part of creation, is day number six. 
appreciate you so much. Uh, I, I hope you know that. I love teaching this class. You guys are just simply amazing. And, and even the, those who don't send the text questions in, some come up here and ask me, I love questions. But get ready. As soon as we end chapter 1, I'm going to give you questions. So be ready, because you're going to have a whole lesson on questions for all of you. And it's going to be fun, I promise. Uh, that's it. We're going to close out. I appreciate you so much. You are dismissed.